Well, thank you. If you um, have your Bible with you, you can open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 19. Um, not, not a chap- chapter that is often preached from. Uh, I think we, you know, often hear those great passages from chapter 40 onwards and, and maybe the first 12 chapters in Isaiah often gets preached on. But that middle section that you have from chapter 13 through to chapter 23 is, is somewhat neglected. And, and there's, there's a reason for that. It's not easy reading. If you read through it, it's quite, quite hard work often reading through those chapters because it seems so full of doom and gloom. You know, it's chapters where God actually, through the prophet, rebukes all the nations round about Judah uh, for, for, for their folly, for their sin, pointing us to the fact that sin is a worldwide problem, not just an issue that the people of God themselves had to relate with. So if you have your Bibles with, uh, please, please read with me. I'll, I'll read through the whole chapter for, for us, even though we're going to focus mainly on verses 17 onwards. So the burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof, and they shall seek to the idols, and to the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards, and the Egyptians will I give over into the hands of a cruel lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up, and they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brook of the fence shall be empty and dried up, and the reeds and the flag shall wither, and the paper reeds by the brook, by the mouth of the brooks, and everything sown by the brook shall wither, be driven away, and be no more. The fishers also shall mourn, and all they that cast angle into the brooks shall mend, and they shall spread nets upon the waters, shall, and they shall languish. Moreover, they that work in fine flax and they that weave net works shall be confounded and they shall be broken in the purpose thereof all that make sluice and pond for fish. Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. The counsel of the wise counselors Pharaoh is become brutish. How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of, of the wise, the son of ancient kings. Where are they? Where are the wise men? And let them tell thee now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed upon Egypt. The prince of Zoan are become fools, and the princes of Noth are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt, even they that are 
in the stay of the tribute thereof. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the mind thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof, as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Neither shall there be any work in Egypt which the head of or tail branches or rush may do. In that day shall Egypt be like unto women, and in that day shall they be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shakes over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. Every one that make mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan and swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord, and it shall be for a sign and for witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressor, and he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord on that day, and shall do sacrifice and ablation, yea, they shall vow vows unto the Lord and perform it. And the Lord shall smite Egypt, he shall smite and heal it, and they shall return even to the Lord, and he shall be entreated of them, and shall heal them. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptian shall serve with the Assyrian. In that day shall Israel be a third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Let us just pray. Father, we ask that you would open this word to us, Father. Give us insight and understanding, I pray. Help me, Lord, to proclaim your word faithfully to your people. Lord, I pray that there would not be one soul here that would not be touched by your word, Father. We are mindful as we read the scriptures. It is the very word of God to us. Oh, Lord, let us not be negligent. Father, even if the preacher failed, the word of God has been read and we know it will not be returned void. Oh, Lord, we pray that we may see Jesus all the greater, all the clearer because of this passage that we've looked. We're reminded of how he pointed the disciples on, the, on, that, on that road when they were walking to how the, all of Scripture points towards him. And we pray that we may be blessed today in seeing that truth as well. May our hearts be convicted, and may we be used for the glory of our great King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, first of all, when we look at this passage, always when we, when we deal with prophetic passages, you would have those who would try and convince you, yes, this has already been fulfilled at some time. 
And to some extent that is true. Much of what we read has been fulfilled. The condemnation of the Lord has fallen upon all those areas round about. As the prophet Isaiah claimed, so did Babylon indeed, that great Chaldeans, the, the people who the prophet Hosea speaks of and Habakkuk speak of and say that dreadful nation who would come and, and shed the vengeance of the Lord abroad. That is the people who came to destroy all these surrounding nations, and we saw that happening in history. I will put before you, as we consider the last couple of verses that we just read in this book, never has there been yet a time where all of Egypt, all of Assyria, and all of Israel together came and worshipped the Lord their God as one. So what an amazing promise is that not for those of us who trust the Word of God and trust the Lord's word, that it would be faithfully fulfilled. What a promise is that not for each and every one of us who desire to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the day like that is yet to come. And so it is a passage that fills us with confidence, isn't it? That the purposes of Christ will avail. But how will it avail? How will it avail for you today when we live in a world where people all over the place are fearful or things like nuclear war and all those things. You know, we thought we're part of the Cold War era. We thought that was all behind us. But every day it seems like when I interact with some of the guys at work, not so much the soldiers. The young, young soldiers seem to be quite oblivious to what is going on. But some of the more senior men, some of the instructors and, and people like that in camp, you know, have come to me and said, you know, I'm quite anxious about what's going on. You know, the briefings and stuff we get does, doesn't look very promising. And so people, I don't know in your experience, but in my experience, people are filled with fear. They're filled with uncertainty. And the one thing that we as Christians have is we have certainty. Because we have the beginning of the story to the end. We know that our Lord will reign victorious. So the question is, and how should we live? And how should we go about our daily tasks as all these things loom about us every day? You know, I think regardless of your eschatological viewpoints and stuff like that, you know, I think it's one thing we can all as Christians agree on today is that the Lord's return is nearer now than ever before, isn't it? It, is, it seems to be, be pushing on closer and closer. I can remember when I was young, younger, you had maybe years or something like that before you heard of another great calamity. At the moment, it seems like it's one thing after the next. But our God is faithful. And, you know, I'm reminded how far John prayed. And, you know, he prayed, come, Lord Jesus, isn't it? And I wonder sometimes if that's a burden of your heart. Do you desire the Lord to come? Would you, would you want him to come tomorrow? Or is there too many things here in this world that entertain your mind? And if there's too many things that entertain your mind, perhaps you are in need of freshly coming to the certain knowledge of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this passage is about. You know, you might think, well, Tian, how do you find grace in this passage? But this whole passage... <coughs> Talk to us about grace. You know, through chapter, as I said, from chapter 13 through to chapter 23, we have this vivid 
accounts of God's condemnation coming upon all these lands round about uh, Judah. The climax is here with, with Egypt. Egypt, you will be very familiar with as being a land that was filled with darkness. You know, they had a God for literally everything. As they looked at the world, they could see the divine hand of God as all things that were before them reminded them that there was a God indeed, but they took little bits of it and started worshiping things like the sun God or the great gods of all the birds or the cat god or, you know, whatever. You can name anything you could imagine. They had a god for that. That was the whole purpose of the ten plagues was to address each of these deities that Egypt looked for. So Egypt was this place that was filled with darkness. Even though they desired to approach God, they had no certain knowledge of who God was. And my question to you today is, do you know who God is? Because, my dear friend, whether you know him or do not know him, one day your knees will bow before him and you will glorify him as the Lord of all the earths. But some of us will bow our knees by the grace given to us and others will bow the knees because their knees will be broken with the rod of iron with which the Son of God will return to rule and conquer. You see, the first time he came, he came as a sweet little baby. Look at little Jesus mild and wonderful but the second time he comes he will come as a conquering king and if you do not know him you have every right to be filled with fear and dread because he will come and he will have his his way he will have his sovereign way and we see here as he deals with this people in egypt we see that they were a people filled with all manner of evil covetousness. Look at the first three verses. Let me read the first four verses there again. The burden, the prophet says, so, so the, the condemnation of the Lord unto Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud. When his judgment comes, it will come swiftly. It will not delay. It will fulfill its purposes. And it shall come to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. You know, I remember, I remember a good couple of years ago having a conversation. It's one of those conversations that's sticking in my mind. A young Polish guy who actually came to England, he joined the parachute regiment. He spent about three years in the parish, then he transferred to the army. Uh, well, he transferred to the Rimi, who I work with now, a vehicle mechanic. And I shared the gospel with him. I started reading the Bible with him, and he, 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 he had some interest. And one day we were talking about the passage. I can't remember what passage we were reading. That slipped my mind now. But I can remember talking to him about judgment. And he was like most young soldiers, you know, just thought he, he was made of steel, really. He was, he was quite a big guy. He was quite fit. So he thought he could achieve anything. And, and he said to me, Tian, if Jesus returned, I will go and ask him to just let people live their lives. Just leave them alone to live the lives they desire to live. I said to him, you will do no such thing. You will melt like a wax figurine if you get in his presence because he holds your very existence in the palm of your hand. I said to him, do you recognize this? The words you've spoken were fringing on blasphemous. 
And yet God gave you, God gave you the, word, the, the breath with which you spoke that word. That's his mercy to you, even this day. But we see, when his justice comes, it will come swiftly. And I will set, the passage say, the Egyptians against Egyptians, and they shall fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst of us, and I will destroy the council thereof. Now, why Egypt? Why does Egypt receive this climax of God's condemnation to some extent? You remember, uh, perhaps from the, from the Old Testament, you remember Abraham. Let's turn, turn to chapter 15, chapter 15 of uh, Genesis. And Abraham, in verse 7 of 15, was after God gave him all these wonderful promises that he would be heir of multitudes, uh, he was still, still doubting. Abraham had a moment of doubt, and as a result of that doubt, the Bible says a dreaded darkness fell upon him. Listen what happened there. So it says there, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said to the Lord, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a lamb of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds he did not divide. And when the foals came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And lo, and horror, a great darkness fell upon him, and he said unto Abraham, Know for surely that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years, and also the nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. You see, from that moment in that passage, Egypt became synonymous with the idea of the bondage of God's people. See, God's people went to Egypt to be in bondage. And you remember, even of Jesus Christ, it was saying in the prophecies, out of Egypt I will call my child. You see, and, and when, we, when we consider that, really Egypt becomes a picture of the world at large for all of us. And I wonder if you find yourself in Egypt today. Are you in bondage? Maybe it's some particular sin that's got a hold on you. Maybe it's the love of the world, the desires that is everywhere around us. Has those things got a hold upon your heart? Because if it has a hold upon your heart, then you are finding yourself in Egypt. And look at that condemnation that was placed against him. The Lord said, I will tell everyone against his neighbor, family against family, and, and city against city. And how often do we not see that in the world? Isn't it? Our politicians can try whatever they make. They can come up with the best peace plans that you could imagine, that you could phantom off in your own understanding, and never will peace avail without Christ. Because it will be, as the Lord has said, Egypt against Egypt. 
and father against children and children against father and all these things because the world is a hard taskmaster that will always seek to divide and conquer and turn you away from the goodness and mercy that is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you go to verse, verse um, let me just see what verse is it. Verse 19, read verse 19 with me. In the midst of Egypt now, this is what's happening. In that day, declares the Lord, shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. See, the first thing we see in this passage, that God will extend His grace to the worst of sinners. In the midst of Egypt, He places a pillar can you remember Jacob there in chapter 17, I think, of Genesis when, 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 when he encountered the Lord for the first time? He said, surely this is the house of God. And he rose up a pillar because he said, this is bed hell. This is the house of God. This is surely a place where people should see and recognize that God is in their midst. Now I want to ask you, in your life, is there a pillar that has been raised? Is God present in your life? Are you, when you're at your school or when you're out doing your work and stuff like that, are you a pillar to the people round about, pointing people to the grace of God? Because remember, we are in Egypt. We're not of Egypt, but as Christians, we live in Egypt. We live in the world, and God has placed you there as a pillar. This very church here is a pillar in the midst of Egypt. Are you guys pointing people to Christ? Because it's God's mercy. It's God's grace. God's abounding grace that He saved you by the blood of His Son when His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for you on the cross. You know, just yesterday, one of the things I, I do on, on Saturdays with our church, we go, we go to two locations. We go into Oxford. We do street preaching there. I take another team out into Swindon and we do street preaching there. We were there for two hours yesterday, and there was a young girl, beautiful young girl, probably 18, 19, and she had all different colors of hair. She had makeup on and stuff, and I offered her uh, a John's Gospel. Twice she came by, twice she denied it, said she's a pagan, she doesn't believe in any of this nonsense. I said, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter, it's still true. She walked by, then I got on the box to preach, and she went to sit on, a, on, a, on, on, on a, a bench, and she listened for the whole 25 minutes. And she was sitting there, bobbing back and forth as though she was demonically possessed. You know, my, my friend who was out with me, before I finished, he went over to her, and he spoke to her, and her heart was softened. She accepted uh, John's gospel, and she said, nobody has ever told her of this grace. You know, what are you doing for the Lord? Time is at hand. Nothing you build in this world will last. So why are you spending your time on all those things? All of these things will be burned. It will, it will be taken away. What have you stored in heaven when such grace have been extended to you? At some point, God stuck a pillar before you that pointed you to Christ. Pointed you to the Savior, the one who died for you, the one who hung across. Think of how much your family members love you, those who love you the most. But they, he died. 
He died. God the Father sent His Son. You know, I think most of us who have maybe a valiant bone in our body would, would consider to die for somebody. But let me ask you this. Would you send your son or your daughter to die for somebody? No, you would scream against that with every ounce of your breath. You'd know, take me, do not take them. Yet God sent His Son to die for us on the cross so that we may have life. Are you demonstrating that as a pillar to those who you've been placed about? You know, we remember in John chapter 8, when Jesus, when Jesus speaks of, uh, of, of, of Him being raised up, he said, said to them, um, in verse 23, And he said to them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the one? The only one by whom you can have salvation. The only one by whom you can be saved by looking unto him. The author and perfecter of your faith. What they said, then said they unto him, who are you? Who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not what he spoke to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto him, unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am him. Am him. That's the pillar. Jesus Christ is the one who was lifted up. The one that was set before us so that we may look unto him and be saved. That we may see that he's the one who died. He's the one who lived the perfect life. So that not only is your sins forgiven, but you have the righteous life of Christ accredited to you. I mean, if there's anything that should spur us on, that's it. You know, not only have we received mercy. Because we deserve the condemnation of God. You know, how many times have you not heard people say, Oh, God, just give me what I deserve. You know, I've done such hard work. Or, you know, I, I feel like I never get what I deserve. The only thing you and I deserve is God's condemnation and eternal ruin. And let me tell you this, even if you're Christian, I'll say that to you. That's what we, be, we deserve. Because if you're Christian then you have been set free from the bondage of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness, yet you, you sin. How much more grievous is not our sin when we recognize what Christ did for us and we still willingly sin? You know, those people in the world, those people in Egypt, they cannot do anything but sin. They are in bondage to it. But have you been set free? Oh, let Christ not have died for us for trifles. He gave his life so that you may what? Hope for your next big car or what? What are we doing? What are we doing for him? See, the second thing that this passage reminds us when it focuses on God's grace. Is look, look at verse 20 now. Verse 20 said, and, and it shall be a sign 
and for witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of oppression, and he shall send them a savior, a great one, and he shall deliver them. So see, the most amazing way we see God's grace is the fact that he sends us a savior. He sends us a savior. And this savior is not just anybody. This savior is the Lord. This savior is the great one. That term there actually has a military connection. He's a mighty captain. Remember William Gruner once said, any other army in this world, when you look at the armies, their generals stand bold and tall because they go forward based on the strength of the army that comes after them. It's not so with our Savior. It's not so with our captain because our captain's army moves forward in the strength of our captain. You see, in those other armies, if their wings are clipped or if they are brought low, the, the general will fail. But even if you're an army with one with the Lord, you will be victorious. For he is the great one. And that's why this passage says, it's not just any savior. It's the great one. It's the king himself. The one who was raised on high so that you and I may look to him and know that we are saved. See, my dear friends, you're not saved yet if you're saved because you have said a special little prayer or you have done many good works for Christ. No, if you're saved, you're saved because you've looked unto Jesus. You've put your hope and trust in him and you've gotten to the point where you said, even if I'm condemned for eternity, I will still worship him for he is worthy. He's the Lord of Lords and kings of kings and no other one can deliver me from the peril that this world puts before me but Christ alone. And I will hope in nothing else. I will not hope in my own works or anything like that. Look at Job. Look at what the Lord did. With Job, you know, often, oftentimes people look at that and like, what's going on? I remember the first time I read through the book. This was almost 17, 18 years ago for the first time when I started reading the Bible. And I, 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 I have a tendency of writing in my Bible, so that's why I need a new one every couple of years. But I can remember reading through Job and I'm like, oh man, these are such great verses. I need to underline this one, I need to underline this one. All this advice that his friends give him. And then I get to the point where God starts speaking. And he says, you've all said that which is not right concerning me. And I'm like, what do I do now? I can't go rub all those things out. You know, is that not good advice? And suddenly I realized, as, as I went back to the beginning, I read the book over and over again. And I started realizing that those men were sharing the prosperity gospel. They said to Job, if you truly believe and you trust the Lord, none of these evil things will happen upon them. You need to repent and you need to put your trust in him. And then everything will be fine and die the dandy god has never promised that to any of us you know what he has promised us is that his mercy and grace will never fail us even if you go through the shadow of death he will go with you for you if you trust in jesus christ this is true of you that mercy and goodness will follow you every day of your life remember charles spurgeon spoke of this there was you know He's, he's just amazing. Me and my son, we're busy listening through, uh, through his autobiography when we drive. So when we drive somewhere, it's like 47 hours long. That man could write, isn't it? But uh, he tells one story where a lady came to his congregation and, and somebody referred it to him. Because he, he came to Christ 
but she, she, she suffered with great mental difficulties. And how many people is there not today that suffer through so many mental difficulties, isn't it? But she struggled, and she was convinced that there was always somebody following her. And she was living in fear. And finally, a friend said to her, go speak to, uh, to, 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 to Pastor Charles Spurgeon. And he came, and he sat, and he talked to her, and she said to him, Sir, I, I'm afraid there's always somebody following me. And he turned to her, and he said, Ma'am, you're absolutely right. Somebody is following you. And she, you know, that's not what she wanted to hear. She was like, no, I, I came here for the leave. You're confirming my fears. And said, turn with me to Psalm 23. You've put your hope in Jesus Christ, haven't you? And she said, yes. Look there. It says there, mercy and goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And she went away content, knowing that because her hope is in Jesus, mercy and goodness will follow her all the days of your life. But what does that do for you? You see, it's one thing to say this, but it's another thing to live in the perfect reality of those truths every day of our lives. And this is what, what this passage addresses. Look what he says in verse, verse 80. 80. If, if these truths apply to us, it needs to change us. In that day, shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan. You see when we come to Christ, it changes you. It changes the language that you have. It changes your behavior. So now the Egyptians were speaking the language of Canaan. They were changed. But yet, don't just count on the fact that you're changed. Don't count on anything but Christ. Don't even count on looking at your life and say, oh, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. God must work in my life. Do not look at anything but Christ. Look to Christ alone. Because even among those who change, look what it says. One of those five cities would be called the city of destruction. And that's the error, isn't it? That's the error any one of us can face. That we can take our eyes of Jesus Christ and look to the fact that he changed me like this or he's done that, that for me. That, none of those things mean anything. Christ is everything. He's the one we need to look to and put our hope on in all things. Or else, it will be nothing. Look at the fourth point that this passage presents to us. It says, when God changes us, when God has had that effect upon us, in verse 21, and the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall they, they shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow vows unto the Lord and perform it. So not only does the Lord change, but the Lord sets you to kingdom work. What kingdom work are you busy with? You see, what are you doing for the Lord? Not because you're going to obtain anything through it. No, because of what Christ has done for us. He, he, you know, in the book of Corinthians, it says, He became poor for our sake. He forsook heaven. He forsook his throne. He became a creature for three and thirty years. The, test, the, the scriptures testify to us that he had no place even to lay his head. How comfortable do you and I not sleep every night? Oh, the manifold gra graces of God towards us. It's good. It, it, it's wonderful. We are, we are blessed. But what are you doing in the midst of this comf comf comfort to the Lord? How have you been set to do kingdom work? Because that's the grace of God. Think of things, right? 
God gives us the grace to do stuff in His presence for Him. It's done by His strength. It's done, He's prepared it from before the foundations of the earth for us. And He gives us the strength to do it. And yet, when we come in His presence on that final day, when hordes and hordes of people are condemned to hell for eternity, and we, because of His mercy, come into His presence, by His grace, are given a reward for things that He prepared and done in us. That's why we'll take those crowns and lay them straight down at His feet and say, Christ, Lord Jesus, You alone are worthy. What a wonderful day. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you looking forward to that day or are you dreading that day? If you're dreading that day, take your eyes off everything else and look unto Jesus. Because that's the only place where we have safety. And that's the fifth thing that this passage points us to. And back to verse 18. Uh, where is it? Can't see it now. One of those, oh, that's verse 20, sorry, verse 20. And it shall be a sign for the witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord. See, the fifth thing that God's grace does to us, it, it brings us to our knees. So if you are sitting here and you think, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready on that final day to enter the kingdom and to be assured where I stand. Then let God bring you to your knees and do not cease. Do not cease to cry out for mercy until you know for certain that you're saved. Because the only place that we can be saved is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, think, think of the examples the Lord left us with. In Luke, Luke 11, can you remember what the disciples did? Think of all the things the disciples would have asked Jesus to teach them. Oh Lord, teach us how to heal. Teach us how to do many of these mighty works that you have done. No, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because Jesus himself was a man of prayer. And the fifth grace this passage reminds us of is that God's work in us leads us to prayer. It brings us to our knees where men and women can cry out before God and say, Oh Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. May your grace be applied to me that I may be certain that Christ Jesus died so that I may be saved. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's what he did for you and me. Now what? The question is now, what will you do for him? It's an old hymn. We sometimes sing in our church. I'm, I'm horrible at remembering hymns. But it, it goes, it, it, it focuses on this. That say not there's nothing that you can't do. You know, if you're not apt to teach the older people, then maybe you can teach the little ones. If you're not apt to give your thousands, then maybe you can give the widow's might. The, the widow's might. You, know, you know, if you're not apt to go out and speak to people in the street, then maybe you can give them a track. But what will you do for the Lord? How has God's grace affected you in the midst of Egypt? Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we recognize that this world is in chaos, Father. This last 70 years or so that we've had of relative peace in the West has been a time like we have never seen really before. That, that has been the anomaly in, in, in history, Father. But that also happened because people in times of old turned their minds to Christ and therefore His grace became effectual in every area of life. So, Father, I pray. I pray that you would start with us, Father. Turn our hearts back unto you. Help us to look at nothing else but our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Father, help us to view him more clearly. Oh, Lord, give us a hunger for your word. Because truly, that's where we learn of all these things. This is where we commune with you, we are mindful how our Lord told us that if we abide in Him, then we will be persistent in our faith. And how we also proclaim that abiding in Him is abiding in the world. So, Father, I pray. I pray for our young people especially that, that's growing up in a culture that is so filled with passive learning. That you would give them a hunger for the Word, Lord. Help them to persist. Help them to read the word, Father. I pray that you would raise up even in this congregation young men and women that would stand for Christ even if they are the only ones doing so. Oh, Lord, we have so much to look forward to. Eternity, Lord, eternity. We can't even comprehend. After a thousand years, we would not even have reached the point on the line of eternity. And what a dreadful thing for those who would go into your eternal condemnation. But what a glorious thing to be in your presence, fullness of joy. Oh Lord, help us to spend ourselves for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.